If this is your first time with us tonight, my name is Phil, and I'm the pastor here. And I want you to know that you are uh, accepted here just as you are, regardless of where you're at with, with ideas like faith or God or church. You're accepted and welcome here, and we hope that you can join us in person sometime soon. Uh, thank you all for being flexible and moving to a live stream um, this week. Uh, we just have, like everywhere, it seems like, a number of people who have been hit with COVID and felt like this made the most sense. Um, but it's going to be a bit, a bit of an odd night, uh, not just because we're only doing a live stream and because, not just because it's just Nate and I in this room together, uh, but because we're not going to have uh, any um, worshiping through music like we usually do tonight. Um, we're going to have a time of reflection here in just a minute with some instrumental music, but mostly tonight you're going to be hearing from just me. <laughs> so uh, I guess you can always tune out if that sounds terrible to you, but here we go. Uh, I'm going to be sharing just a short reflection on a passage of Scripture tonight that I think is, is going to be a good way for us to start the new year and enter into the season of Epiphany together. Uh, the church calendar season of Epiphany starts Thursday. Um, right now we're still in Christmastide. It, today is the 10th day of Christmas, uh, 10 out of 12. But Epiphany is the season that comes next. It's a season celebrating Jesus as God's light coming into the world, shining in the darkness. It's a season of searching, um, of curiosity, of being surprised by what we find. Uh, it's a season focusing on the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness that does not overcome it. I want us to approach this season of the year with, with open-handed curiosity and a willingness to be wrong about things that we, we've become certain about, especially as it pertains to ourselves and each other and how God sees us. More on that in just a bit. But first, um, as we've done in the past live stream, live stream only situations, I have a question I want you to be thinking about um, and even answer in the chat if you're willing. And my question is, how do you think Jesus sees you? If someone asked Jesus to sum you up in just a few words or sentences or, or two, what would Jesus say about you? We'll take a look at your responses uh, in, in a bit. To give you some time to think about that, we're going to take uh, five minutes or so to, to give you some space. And we're going to play some instrumental music, and there's going to be some quotes that are going to appear on the screen. Uh, these are quotes pertaining to the season of Epiphany that I like to reflect on during this time of year. Um, so take some time to get focused, reflect on that question, how do you think Jesus sees you? And we'll get back uh, together in a few minutes.
Oh, if you missed it earlier, the question for you to uh, think about tonight and, and even answer in the chat, if you're willing, is this. How do you think Jesus sees you? Uh, I said earlier, if, if someone asked Jesus to sum you up in just a few words or a sentence or two, what would Jesus say about you? We're going to take a look at your responses in a bit. Tonight, I want us to start this year off by reflecting on this story from the first chapter of the Gospel of John. This little seemingly inconsequential story about Jesus right at the beginning of his three-year ministry. Uh, this is a story that I've been really interested in uh, for a few years, but I haven't had the chance to teach on it. <laughs> so I thought, let's do it tonight, and I'm excited to talk about it tonight. Uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 35 through 50. Now, there's a little bit of backstory so that you know what's going on here. Um, Jesus has this cousin named John. Uh, John the Baptist. He was a guy that spent a few years telling anyone who would listen that the Messiah was on the way and that people needed to repent, uh, to prepare their hearts for the Messiah showing up, to be baptized and rededicate themselves to God. So he would go out into the wilderness and huge crowds would, would follow him out there to be baptized and to hear more about the Messiah. A number of people became disciples of John and, and followed him to try to learn from him and John was always clear that he wasn't who they should be following, but that the Messiah was. Eventually, Jesus makes his way out into one of these big baptisms out in the wilderness, and John exclaims before all the people and his disciples that Jesus is the Messiah and that they should be following him. Our story picks up right after this has happened. So this is John uh, chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. The next day... John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? <laughs> now, this seems, this seems really basic, right? Uh, these dudes start following Jesus, and he turns around and asks them, Like, what do you want? Seems pretty normal. But there's more going on here than just this surface-level interaction. Jesus is asking kind of a profound question um, that he actually asked many times throughout this, this gospel to various people. What do you want? What are you hoping for in following me? What are you after? How would you answer that question? I've been thinking about that a lot this week. I think that's something for you to chew on this next week. How would you answer that question if Jesus asked you, what do you want? But let's pick back up. Uh, in this story to see how these two men answered Jesus's question. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Okay, so two things are going on here. Again, they ask what seems like a really basic, inconsequential question. Where are you staying? But that word for staying here is the same word that becomes a major theme throughout this Gospel of John. It's a word that means abide. So on one level, they are asking Jesus, where are you staying? <laughs> but on another level, the author here is foreshadowing a bit by having these disciples ask Jesus, where do you abide? Where do you reside? Where, where, where are you anchored? Because we want to be a part of that. We want to abide there too. We want to be with you. And Jesus simply replies, come and see. 
Come and see. This is an incredible invitation if, if you stop and think about it. Jesus is saying, let me show you, not just tell you. Come with me and find out. Now, he's not just saying, come check out this mattress in the room that I'm sleeping in. Uh, he's inviting them to learn to abide with him. There's so much that we could unpack here. And, and honestly, I was going to spend the whole night just reflecting on this invitation from Jesus. Come and see. But then I was really, really captured by what happens in the story next. So we're going to pick back up. This is verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. (laughs) So Peter walks up to Jesus for the very first time and Jesus gives him a new name. Doesn't say hi, doesn't shake his hand, say, how are you doing? He's like, you know that old name you had? That's not what I'm going to call you. That's interesting. Hold on to this for a minute. Tuck this away in the back of your mind for later. We're going to come back around to this in a bit. Continuing on, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from uh, the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one who Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. So Jesus finds another disciple, a guy with a great name, beautiful name, perfect name, and invites Philip to follow him. Philip apparently does so with zero questions. (laughs) So though we share a name, he and I are very different. Uh, Philip goes and, and finds his friend Nathaniel and tells him, we found the Messiah and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response is like really sad. It's like even offensive. Nathaniel completely dismisses what Philip is saying based solely on his prejudice against people from Nazareth. Now, we're not totally sure how serious Nathaniel is being here. But at the very least, he's being a dismissive, sarcastic jerk. So I guess I should have probably been named Nathaniel instead of Philip. Anyway, did you see, did you see uh, how Philip responds to Nathaniel's dismissiveness? He repeats Jesus's invitation, come and see, come and see for yourself. Don't be a jerk about it. Come and experience it firsthand. And then this happens. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. So Nathanael is at least intrigued enough to take Philip up on his offer and goes with him to meet Jesus. And Jesus amazes Nathanael with how he receives him and how he was able to see Nathanael without being there with him. And Jesus basically says, if you think that's cool, <laughs> you, haven't seen, you, you ain't seen nothing yet, dude. Come and see. 
But did you catch what happened here between Jesus and Nathanael right off the bat? Nathanael earlier dismisses Jesus based solely on the place Jesus grew up, right? Again, we're not sure how serious Nathanael was being, um, but at the, at the very least, he's someone with, with loose lips who's quick to sarcasm but doesn't really think about what they're saying. And at worst, he's, he's an arrogant, prejudiced cynic. And Jesus knows that Nathanael said these things because he tells us that he saw Nathanael before Philip came up to him, which sort of implies that he's aware of the exchange that happened between Philip and Nathanael. So Jesus knows what Nathanael said about him. And how does Jesus greet Nathanael? He immediately calls out Nathanael's honesty, his integrity, his lack of deceitfulness. He doesn't call out Nathanael's prejudice or his arrogance or his cynicism or doubt, all of which would be valid. Instead, Jesus looks at Nathanael and sees past all of the projection and defense mechanisms, all of the brokenness, and he sees the best of who Nathanael is. And it turns Nathanael's life upside down, or perhaps right side up. Uh, it transforms him. Now, if you remember, we actually saw this same thing happen to Peter. Jesus meets Peter, someone who we come to find later. It's kind of a brash, impulsive, insecure, earnest, but unreliable person. He's kind of a shaky dude. Jesus meets him and instantly tells him that he's going to call him rock because of how solid he is. Jesus sees who Peter really is, the truest part of Peter. He names it. He calls it out in him, and it changes Peter's life. So, how do you think Jesus sees you? Let's see if anyone said anything, because I know this is kind of a hard question. Chet said, Jesus sees me a lot better than I see myself. Michaela said, I was actually thinking about this exact question the other day. I can't even describe the love I have for my kids. I have a literal heartache when I think about them and I love, because I love them so much. I can only assume that Jesus sees me the same way. It's hard for me to comprehend that he loves me even more than the love I'm capable of giving others and my own children. Brandy said, Jesus sees her as seeking, as a sibling, as a friend. These are great answers. And if you think of more, please continue to, to throw them up in the chat. Um, I think also you guys have, uh, you guys have a pretty good handle on this and maybe one, better than my default. Because I think we often see ourselves and define ourselves by our, our biggest shortcomings and failures. We tell ourselves that those aspects are our identity. See, I tend to think what Jesus sees in me is all my brokenness. And for sure, he does see those things, right? We see in the Gospels that he's really blunt with people about where they're falling short, about the things that they're doing that are wrong. But he also calls people to something better, something higher, something deeper. He always calls out the best parts of who they are. He always calls them to be their truest selves. It seems like Jesus doesn't primarily see what's wrong. He sees the best. He sees in people 
who God created them to be. He sees who we really are underneath all our wounds and sin and shame and baggage and projections and defense mechanisms and failures. How different would things be if we saw ourselves the way Jesus sees us? How different would things be if we called out the best parts of ourselves, the things we want to cultivate and grow, the things we want to be defined by? When we're really seen for who we truly are, something amazing happens. All our shortcomings, our failures, our wounds, our shame, our sins, they all lose their power and we're transformed. Jesus invites his disciples to come and see. I think tucked inside of this invitation is another, to come and be seen. Come be seen for who you truly are. And so I I think this question that we've been talking about tonight, how does Jesus see me, is one that, that you should really sit with this week. And if you're brave, maybe ask someone who you trust, who, who really knows you, what, how they think Jesus might answer that question. You might find out that you're wrong about yourself in the best way, or be reminded of who you really are. Being seen for who we truly are transforms us. It also expands our capacity to see others to see past the shortcomings and failures, to to see through the shadow sides of people and to see the best parts of them, their true identity, who God created them to be. We can do for others what Jesus does here for Peter and Nathaniel, see them and call out their true selves. We can love others this way um, when we've experienced that love from God. Just like we read in 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. We see others because we were first seen by him. Come with Jesus and see for yourself. Come and see. That's the invitation being extended to us as we start this new year. It's an invitation to curiosity. It's a, a, an invitation to... Um, a willingness to be wrong about ourselves and others, a willingness to be surprised by things that we're certain about being so much more and so much better than we ever expected. It's an invitation to to see and be seen, to reflect the light of the world into the darkness. So are you willing to be curious? Are you willing to be wrong? Are you willing to be surprised? Are you willing to come and see? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for uh, this time tonight. Thank you for the ability to still gather together while we're separate. Um, God, thank you for a new year. God, I pray that you would help us see ourselves the way that you see us and help that clear picture of who we really are to to expand our ability to see others for who they really are. God, I pray that this year for us as a church would be marked by a curiosity about your love that pushes us into new depths with you. 
God, there are a number of people in our community uh, suffering right now. We think about everyone who lost their homes up in Boulder this, this past week. We think about everyone who's been hit by COVID hard these past few weeks. And God, we pray for uh, provision. We pray for healing. And we pray that your love would be felt and known throughout our community and, and the surrounding communities of Denver. God, thank you for this time tonight. We love you. Amen.